Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern. Fast swing on the way. It's gone! It is well with my stolen Montgomery! Georgia Southern! All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. And we got a pretty full episode for you guys today. We got Mike Anthony joining to recap the 51-29 victory for Georgia Southern football over ULM last Saturday. Um, And then at the back end of this show, you'll hear my interview with Kara Ritchie. Kara is the personality on Workday Red Zone Radio on 95.3 The Ticket in Jonesboro, Arkansas. She'll join to preview the Arkansas State game uh, with a Red Wolves scouting report from someone um, like herself who has been kind of tracking Arkansas State all season long. Uh, You'll hear in that interview with Kara a lot of the similarities between Arkansas State and Georgia Southern. If you thought Georgia Southern was dealing with a lot of injuries this year, um, and they have been, but if you thought that was bad, uh, wait till you hear Kara talk about the rash of injuries that uh, Arkansas State has had this year to some pretty crucial players, and yet they'll enter Saturday's game with Georgia Southern with an identical record of six and four, four and two in the Sun Belt. But before we get to Arkansas State, we will jump on this ULM game. Uh, really big rebound game for Georgia Southern, winning fifty-one to twenty-nine. And uh, we want to bring Mike Anthony on now to kind of discuss that game. Mike, how are you? I'm uh, doing just fine. Watching some Georgia Southern basketball as we speak. Yeah, me too. And as we record this on Tuesday night with Georgia Southern men's hoops playing Mercer, um, I got my ESPN Plus on my phone set up right here in, in the studio with me, Mike. Because we make that big print media money, we can afford those subscriptions. That's right, man. Heavy subscriptions. Mike, I just have like a list of things from the ULM game, uh, and I've been doing this of late. You know, when I watch these games, like it's there's so many things that I'm like, oh, I wonder, you know, what was the thought process behind that, or or why did they do this, or why didn't they do this? Um, and so, you know, after the game, it becomes, and you, I'm sure, Mike, you can relate to this. After the game, it becomes so jumbled in our minds, like we there's so many things, and you can only fit it in, you know, to so many inches in the newspaper. But that's what kind of this forum is for, I guess. Uh, I'll just run off my, my list of kind of bullet points, and some of them are questions, some of them are just random thoughts. Uh, and then I'll let you kind of do the same, Mike, and then we can just see where that leads us. Uh, Shy Wirtz was awesome on Saturday. The stats may not you know, show that he rushed for a lot of yards or anything like that, but his decision-making was just about flawless. Um, and I thought Bob DeBest was just about flawless as well with the game plan that he called. Um, you'll hear Coach Lunsford talk about the offensive plan for this game later in the episode, but I thought DeBest, Lunsford, the entire coaching staff really had a nice plan. They kind of reversed fields, if you will, from the prior plans of attack from previous games. Uh, I thought J.D. King had his best performance as an Eagle. Um, maybe he's had more rushing yards in other games, uh, higher rush rushing yards per attempt in other games but this one he just ran like a bull in a china shop man he he, like I've you know talked about all season long about how JD King really hasn't broken a lot of tackles it seems like and on Saturday boy he was a man on a mission Uh, that run for JD King at the end of the first quarter uh, go back and watch it it was really something Um, and I was just really impressed by the way JD King carried the ball I uh, thought Lunsford pushed a lot of right buttons. We'll talk about his decisions. He chose once again to receive after winning the toss. Anthony Beck, who won special teams player of the week for the conference uh, with, a, I think, a 48-yard punt average. Uh, Lunsford chose to repunt uh, at the end of the third quarter uh, after ULM had gotten the ball on its own 19. So, you know, you wouldn't have blamed him for declining it. But they decided to repunt. It led to a muffed punt from Anthony Beck which he just punts a million of it seems like Um, and so that was a good decision Uh, Radar Ellis had kind of a funny moment where a ball hit him right in the middle of the palms and he dropped it thought that was funny Dexter Carter Jr. getting in the mix Mike finally Monquavian Brinson speaking of finally he gets to the promised land Um, when everyone else is preparing their celebrations for the post game, Monquavian Brinson's still trying to get in the end zone, and he runs that onside kick back 
to give Georgia Southern 51 points, the most it scored uh, since November 2017. And then, Mike, my last kind of little bullet point here, it just says, please God, not the Arizona Bowl, because uh, nobody wants to go to Arizona. I think it would be cool to play a whack team, but other than that, or I guess not whack anymore, what is it, Mountain West? Yeah, it'd be cool to play one of those teams. Um, I've seen Nevada as a possible matchup. That would be cool, but man, forget it going to Arizona. Uh, Mike, w- what are kind of your immediate takeaways from the game? I know that was a lot from me, but I just kind of wanted to get all, all that off my chest off the start. Well, I think that once again, you know, it, it's kind of uh, getting comical that all this bad weather seems to follow Georgia Southern. You know, you're, you're a low country, southeast Georgia team. You're used to maybe some uh, bad weather in the form of muggy, unbearable practices and maybe a pop-up thunderstorm here and there. But, you know, for the last two decades, Georgia Southern, they've played through bad weather, but it's mostly been on the road. At home home games, they just haven't had uh, too many uh, bad weather games to play through. And now this is the third one in a row. And I really think that it was kind of funny at first. It's become a running joke. But I really think that it's morphing into a team identity, and that's what uh, Coach Lunsford's been talking about all year is how do we find this identity? And it's tough when you deal with adversity, when you deal with injury, uh, when you deal with, you know, some guys maybe not performing for the first half of the year as well as you wanted them to. So it kind of becomes a crutch for you almost that it's something that everybody latches on to that all of a sudden they become this bad weather team. They love to play in the cold. They love to play in the wind. They love to play in the rain. So, you know, as someone who's been watching all these games, I think that's kind of funny. As far as the actual X's and O's, you know, I think that uh, I'd have to agree with you. That was one of the better call games offensively and defensively for Georgia Southern. I know we talked a lot last week about how that up-tempo crossing routes uh, quick passing offense just seemed to be the bugaboo of Georgia Southern for the better part of two years straight. And they just absolutely did not allow ULM to get into that. Now, maybe some of that had to do with the weather conditions, but as any coach would tell you, both teams had to play in it. And it's not like uh, uh, Caleb Evans wasn't capable of throwing the ball over the middle. God knows he did it a bunch last year when ULM just took Georgia Southern to task, but the Eagles seemed ready for it. For the first time in a long time, it really seemed like, well, I, I guess I would say this game and the App State game, it really seemed like Georgia Southern defensive coordinator Scott Sloan was in the ULM backfield all week for preparations. That's the most prepared aside from the App State game. I've seen this Georgia Southern defense all season long. And with the talent that this team has on it, uh, especially on the defensive side, if you're going to tell me that the right uh, game plan, the right preparations were made, I think you're going to see a lot more dominating performances like that. Yeah, I think it was just a game where everything went hand in hand. I mean, I do think that Sloan and DeBess and Lunsford had a quality game plan and they executed it nearly to perfection, obviously. Um, But again, I would say that a lot of the problems Georgia Southern had early in the year, and Mike, you know, I know you might not agree on this one fully, uh, I would just still think that you can look at basics like tackling. Um, I thought Georgia Southern was excellent tackling on Saturday against ULM. Uh, they were able to get pressure on Caleb Evans-ish uh, without having to blitz too often. They were able to do all of it without Kendall Vildor. Um, and so really it just seemed like everything was kind of working in tandem, whereas in their losses this year, especially uh, at Troy um, and I think, uh, you know, obviously at LSU to open the year, it seemed like the exact opposite. It seemed like the players weren't making the tackles. Uh, the game plan was just, you know, wrong, poor, uh, for, you know, for lack of a better word. But now it seemed like uh, against ULM, it just seemed like everything was working hand in hand. Uh, and dare I say it was complimentary football, Mike. Yeah, and I'll definitely agree with you as far as the uh, the tackling goes on defense and you know, it's one thing to not see something coming or to not be prepared for plays. And even in some of the Georgia Southern losses, I don't think that that was quite the case. It's just that it seemed like the offense is operating at a higher speed than the Eagle defense could. But in this game, even when ULM was able to execute plays properly, even when they were able to get guys out in space, it seemed like Georgia Southern was never really on its heels 
even when the uh, the ball was going forward, Georgia Southern knew where it was going, who had the ball, how to respond to it. And I think that's what you were getting at. You know, it's one thing to to be surprised by where the ball's going and who has it and where they have it. And that's what's going to lead to guys not being able to get good hits, not get in front of the play, not make good tackles. And this ULM game, not only did they shut most of it down, but even when the Warhawks did have positive plays, there was always somebody waiting to uh, make sure that it didn't turn into a huge play for ULM. Right. And um, all right, let's jump into some specifics here, Mike. I'll let you decide. You want to talk about uh, the offensive game plan going in uh, as a whole first, or do you want to talk about Shia Wirtz's performance first? Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I like the offensive performance as a whole, but in this offense, it all goes through your quarterback. So I think you have to start the discussion with Shy. Good deal. Let's start with Shy. Um, after the ULM game, I asked Lunsford uh, about Wirtz's performance on Saturday. Here's what Coach Lunsford had to say when I asked about Shy Wirtz. Um, I thought Shy did a good job tonight. Now, you know, we, we may get in there and we may say some things that, um, you know, we don't like, but um, I thought he managed the game really well. Um, I thought he threw the ball well. Um, you know, and, and he was making good checks when he needed to. Uh, he was making good decisions on the gives, the keeps, and the pitches. Um, you know, there were, you know, there's probably a couple in there that we probably want back, uh, but I thought he did a good job. He looked very confident tonight. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was a fourth and short or, or third and short, I can't remember, uh, but we called the play and, and I saw it in his eyes. I knew he was gonna pull the ball and go get that thing. And, you know, if you go back and you look at that South Alabama game, we had a fourth and one or two, maybe it was fourth and three, I can't remember. And, um, you know, he kind of took that thing to the sideline. Um, you know, tonight I saw that different look in his eyes, like I'm going to go get this first down. So I think he's continuing to grow and get better at what he's doing. All right, so there's Lunsford talking about um, some specific plays from Wirtz and kind of how he saw that look in Wirtz's eye. Um, this is what we talked about. Uh, earlier in the year, Mike, some of the decisions Wirtz had made, you know, even a week prior at Troy, were the wrong ones. And it's easy, obviously, to look back at film and slow it down and pause plays and look and say, well, you should have kept here. You should have handed here. But on Saturday, Mike, it was just evident that Wirtz was aggressive in his decisions. He was making the correct decision more often than not. Um, he was sacked zero times, uh, and he threw a couple of dimes. I mean, there was a throw to Kennedy uh, across the middle where Kennedy almost got torched where a phantom uh, targeting call was made. And then, If I can cut in, I think it was in. the touch of Wirtz's pass to deliberately underthrow that that saved Kennedy on that one. Would you agree? You, you were right next to me. Yeah. If he would have yeah. led him for more yards, it would have been probably a – an incomplete pass and an immobile Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, and it was jaw-dropping to me. I thought, you know, I was like, man, that's a hell of a throw. And then the throw to uh, DA Big Play for the touchdown, great catch, but, uh, I mean, what a perfectly thrown ball, Mike. Uh, I know you and I were talking to Shy after the game, and he talked about that one throw he missed uh, to Malik Murray, but I would even argue that that wasn't a bad throw, uh, that's kind of Wirtz's MO, right? When throwing towards the sideline, he tends to err on the side of caution there and rarely will overthrow a guy, but he did overthrow. I mean, rarely will underthrow a guy there on the sideline. He did miss Murray, but even that one I thought was pretty good decision to make it where only Murray could catch the ball. Um, Mike, do you think that there was something said to Wirtz this week or something that Wirtz picked up himself on film as far as the sacks go, um, you know, not taking the sacks. Um, it's not like he was running wild and free uh, from a bunch of ULM defenders. But, um, you know, even down near the end zone one time uh, when I believe it was Chase Hancock who missed a block on the left side, Wirtz was being pressured. He threw the ball away um, instead of being sacked. To go from nine sacks to zero sacks, something had to have been said uh in in the week prior, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, probably the message got across that either, A, you have to be more aggressive and try to make a play when you know that the walls are closing in, or B, 
you've got to be more conservative. And if you don't see anybody and there's not an easy throwaway, then you've got to just, you know, get rid of the ball entirely with no chance of anybody uh, uh, bringing the ball down. But I think that you also have to uh, factor in that the Georgia Southern run game is working exponentially better than it was at Troy, which means fewer passing opportunities, which also means that uh, the passing opportunities that you do dial up are probably going to have a few more guys running open, probably catching the defense a little bit more by surprise. So I think it was kind of just a, a perfect storm of all that merging together. It's a lot easier when you're playing from ahead to call a pass play and be able to get out of it quickly without taking a sack or having to throw it away you've got a lot more options when you've got a defense on its heels. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think it's interesting to think about the offensive game plan as a whole. And it was clearly a little more open here to start the game uh, rather than kind of establishing the dive, which I know we've talked about you know, at length on this podcast before. It seemed like it was the opposite. So I asked Coach Lunsford after the game what the offensive plan was coming in and uh, this is what he had to say about that offensively again it's just we got to make sure we establish the run game um I, I you know i think we did a good job of that um i did think we threw the ball well tonight to help loosen that defense up um we got to be able to do more of that um uh, but that was part of the plan too was try to throw it a little bit more to try to loosen up the defense so that we could get the run game going uh but we've always got to go out here and dominate the run game or we can't win football games so uh, basically, that was what it was. And then in special teams, you know, obviously always win the field position battle. All right, so there's Lunsford talking about opening it up with the pass game early to set up the run game as opposed to opening up with the run game to possibly set up play-action pass. Um, I thought that was an interesting uh, decision, Mike. Obviously, the right decision to, to start that way because it worked uh, incredibly well. Georgia Southern throws 10 passes in the game from where it's five of them completed. Um, And you'll kind of notice that a lot of those came in the first half. And that kind of points to what Lunsford was saying. Uh, Seven of the 10 attempted passes for Georgia Southern came in the first half. All five of the completions came in the first half. Uh, And so it's, it was no secret after the game that Georgia Southern had, a different kind of plan in mind. What did you think, Mike, of the offensive game plan and and the best, Bob, the best on Saturday? Well, I, I think that it was a calculated strategy. Uh, ULM not one of the better defenses around. Um, I, I think that everybody on the offense, uh, maybe excluding the line because it's kind of a patchwork thing from week to week, but everybody who's in the skill position slots, they've gained enough trust for. Uh, uh, DeBess and Lunsford and everybody else on the coaching staff to be able to uh, trust that they can go out and execute whatever. So I, I think it was a, a good move, if not a bold move, to just say, hey, if everybody's so sure that we're just going to try to test the waters and run inside and try to grind stuff out early um, and, and try to force the narrative that way for a running team, you know, it hasn't worked so many times. And Georgia Southern's ended up playing from behind because of it so many times so I think they finally just got fed up with it and said you know we we trust that we can run we know we want to run that's going to be the bread and butter that's what's going to put more points on the board for us than anything else but if we can just go out there and prove to someone or anyone that they're not afraid to go out there and take some shots get some big plays go through the air back everybody off that's going to open up everything for the rest of the game and with the stats that you cited that's exactly what it did. Georgia Southern didn't keep its foot on the gas pedal in terms of uh, airing the ball out. I think they've still got plenty of pass plays that they want to keep hidden away in the playbook for when they need them further down the road. But by hitting what they hit, it forced ULM, who's already not a great rush defense, to stay on its heels, to respect the the, uh, deep routes, to have those corners and safeties thinking twice about charging in. And that's where you saw the runs open up throughout the second half of the game. Yeah, and Mike, to to that end, I wanted to touch on this and kind of let you take this, actually. Uh, Dexter Carter Jr. seemed to be more involved in the game plan. Uh, He caught a pass. Uh, It was actually a first down pass from Wirtz uh, that ended up in a first down. And then the very next play was the Darion Anderson touchdown. Um, 
Mike, Dexter Carter Jr. is a name that Georgia Southern fans are no doubt familiar with. Uh, and it seems like, you know, I wasn't here covering the team when he was recruited, signed, uh, and brought into Statesboro. It seems like a lot of people are saying, you know, well, let me preface this by saying this. If a guy is not playing or not, you know, receiving a lot of action, there's a reason for it. I mean, we're, you know, we're not privy to what's going on uh, every moment at practice and who's winning every rep. But clearly, Dexter Carter Jr. was passed by other guys in, in previous years. Um, Mike, if you can, do you remember kind of when Dexter Carter signed and kind of what the expectations were for him, at least from the fan base, uh, as opposed to you know what he has uh, been or not been really while at Georgia Southern. Uh, it, it was interesting to see him being used and being sent out on some deep routes and things that Georgia Southern fans have probably been clamoring for for quite a while. Well, he's a unique case in that he was a highly coveted recruit for Georgia Southern a while ago and, you know, showed some interest. And then, you know, I, I can't blame him. I'm not going to put this on him one bit because there's plenty of guys who have done it before, plenty of guys who are on the roster that maybe contemplated doing it uh, before they came to Georgia Southern. You know, there were bigger schools that came, more prestigious schools uh, that he thought he might have a chance with. And decided to hold off a little bit on committing. And then, you know, things happen, uh, whether it's uh, athletic or health-related or whatever, you know, things just don't work out and you have to fight your way back, whether it's through uh, uh, JUCOs or, or just taking time on your own to try to work your way back. And, you know, Georgia Southern's still there waiting for him and knowing what they think he can do. And I think that that, you know, uh, uh, you should give a lot of credit to Dexter Carter Jr. and what he brings to the table because not only did he go through that cycle with Georgia Southern, but he did that while there were two different coaching changes happening and there were enough people in the Georgia Southern fold that still remembered what they thought of him and what they thought he could bring to the table that they wanted him to still come back. And, you know, he had to to make his bones. He had had some time away from the game where he wasn't able to get out there on an everyday basis, either in practice or in games, and prove that he could pl- uh, play at this level. So he had to work his way back a little bit. He did some uh, uh, scout team reps. He did some, you know, third and second team reps, and now he's earning his way onto the field. So I, I think that a lot of people who really follow recruiting closely know exactly who he is and want him to succeed because they were probably the ones uh, hyping him up back when they thought he was going to be here for the first time in the first place. So I know they're happy for him, and I know that uh, the coaching staff probably is happy for him, that he's done enough to to be a guy that they can count on to put on the field in big spots. Yeah, and look, you know, it's important to remember if you're you're asking for a man to receive more playing time, someone's got to come off the field. Uh, And, Mike, just from rewatching the game, I don't know what this means, but it did seem like when Carter was in, Colby Ransom was out. I mean, is that fair to say that – Carter was in where Ransom usually would have been in those spots? I think it is, and I think that, uh, you know, it's hard to describe exactly why that is. Right. Um, you could come up with different reasons. It could be that, you know, as you and I just talked about, Georgia Southern seemed committed to go to uh, more passing or spreading it out more early on. Maybe that's why from an offensive standpoint. Or it could also be from what you've heard every Georgia Southern coach for the last 20 years say is that, uh, you know, we've got receivers who we expect to be able to make plays in the passing game, but uh-huh. they're also on the field to throw blocks a lot of the time because they run most of the time. So if one guy's blocking better than the next, then maybe if you can't go up and get it as much as that guy, it doesn't matter if you're the one that can spring someone on a big block to to get a big run because that's what you're going to be looking for more often than not. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, and it, kind of in the same boat, Mike, Najee Thompson just continues to impress the hell out of me. Uh, I I really like watching this guy play. Uh, I mean, every time Anthony Beck punts, um, and there's been over 50 of those this year, every time Anthony Beck punts, Najee Thompson is around the returner. And obviously that's your job kind of as the gunner, but, you know, to, to be that consistent on special teams, to have three fumble recoveries when you're only playing... Uh, you know, at most maybe a dozen a dozen plays a game uh, is really remarkable. And so it shows you 
Um, and Lunsford talked about this on the coaches show with Danny Reed and, and the Georgia Southern Sports Network on Monday night. Uh, guys like Justin Birdsong, guys like Najee Thompson, um, you can work your way up into meaningful snaps by making plays on special teams. And, you know, Lunsford obviously made his hay coaching special teams. He still coaches special teams. So it's important for the ball club. And, and I just think that guys like Najee Thompson, Birdsong, um, and even guys like the long snapper Ryan Langan, when they're as consistent as they, ha- as they have been, uh, it just really helps the whole team. Uh, and it helps uh, to build confidence on the sideline uh, when you're sending the punt unit out or when you're sending the you know field goal unit out, that you're not worried about all the stuff happening before the punt and after the punt. You're kind of just only worried about getting the punt off because the snap is going to be there and you know the coverage is going to be there. Uh, so I just think those guys really deserve some kudos. Oh, absolutely. And any uh, any coach will tell you that special teams goes uh, unheralded. Everybody knows who the field goal kicker is. They know whether they have a good one or a bad one. And that's kind of where most fans' attention dies on it. But so much, <clears throat> so much depends on, you know, when you bring that punt team out, can you flip the field? If you're near midfield, can you guarantee that it's going to go inside the 20 or is it going to be, uh, uh, you know, just bombed into the end zone and they get a a 30 yard net punt. And even going deeper than that, like you said about the snapper, you know, are you going to get a good snap every time that goes for punts and field goals? You have to be able to depend on that. Just like you do the holder to get everything down. It's a three piece process. When you're going for uh, getting points on the field goal, it's at least a, uh, two-part process when you're trying to uh, direction a punt or pin someone deep. And then, you know, like you said with uh, Najee, you, you need someone who can go down there and make sure that no one's going to return one on you when you do have to punt. And, you know, as much as it pains me to say it, I hate the uh, New England Patriots with the fire of a thousand burning suns, but Najee Thompson is the Matthew Slater of college football right now. I mean, if there's a te- if there's a big play that's getting made on special teams, it's probably Thompson on the other end of it. Yeah, with that fresh, fresh hoodie underneath the shoulder pads, too. I love that look. Looks good. Looks good. All right, uh, let's move on uh, in the interest of appeasing producer Zach. Um, let's uh, jump to kind of you know a different talking point. The attendance numbers uh, weren't great again on Saturday, uh, t- right around 10,000, um, a little bit more than that. For the season, Georgia Southern is last in Sunbelt. Uh, in average and total attendance this season, averaging 13,722. Um, that's 10th in the league. Coastal Carolina is 9th with uh, nearly 2,000 more at 15,020. The Sun Belt average is 18,854 per game. Uh, just simply put, Mike, the low attendance numbers, and I'm just going to make a statement. You tell me where I'm wrong. The attendance numbers for Georgia Southern this year uh, being low are 99% due to weather, right or wrong? I, I would agree. I think that uh, the Georgia Southern fan base is very prone, maybe probably uh, significantly more prone to trends in the team uh, than other teams around. You know, if they're going good, it's going to be better. If they're going bad, it's going to be worse. But that does not hold a candle to what happens when it's cold and it's rainy at Paulson Stadium, which just doesn't happen all that often. It especially happened uh, this past week. It was rainy beyond anything anyone's seen around here for a game day uh, for the previous two home games. So, yeah, I think that uh, for the attendance to be that low, you really have to attribute a lot of that to just the weather conditions and not only the game time weather conditions, but, for each of those games, it had been a mess for a day, day and a half prior. So you're talking about making travel plans from a ways away, and you see that it's not going to get any better. Or even if you're a student that lives right here, you're waking up and it's already raining, so you're not going to go out to tailgate. So if you're not tailgating, you're definitely not going to go out to, to the game if you haven't been partying and getting ready. So, yeah, a little bit of tough luck there for Georgia Southern on the attendance front. All right, and one more thing from this game, Mike, and then we will wrap it. Uh, Georgia Southern loves the second quarter this season. It's incredible what they've done um, in second stanzas this year. Uh, they won the second quarter 17 to nothing against ULM, uh, really put the game away there. 
I thought, uh, maybe not at the time, but I think looking back, that's where the game pretty much started and ended for ULM. Uh, it ev- Georgia Southern even won the second quarter two weeks ago at Troy, 14-13. to 13. Um, And for the season, Mike, these numbers in the second quarter for Georgia Southern are really remarkable. They have a plus 33 scoring margin uh, in the second quarter. They got uh, a minus 16 scoring margin uh, in games this year total. Okay, 105 total points in the second quarter. That's the most of any quarter. Uh, Georgia Southern has scored 85 points in the first and third quarter combined. Uh, So 20 more points in the second quarter than you have in the first and third quarter combined. 41% of Georgia Southern's points in regulation this year have come uh, in second quarters. Is there anything kind of, you know, strategically here, Mike? Or is this just a random occurrence that Georgia Southern seems to play well um, just before halftime? Well, there's so many variables in any game that you've got to leave a lot of any statistical analysis up to to chance where anything is at any given time in the game. But I think that, you know, talking about the second quarter, I think that you can ascribe a little bit of that success to good coaching. Um, At that point, you figure in the second quarter of the game, you know, unless it's just a blowout or you're really in trouble, uh, there's probably a lot of strategies still going on. You got to think about uh, uh, how the game began, what the trends are, who's getting the ball to begin the third quarter, where the wind's going, where you might be going in the second half. And and so I think that's a lot of calculated decisions. So honestly, if I wanted to pick one quarter where I wanted my team to dominate, it would probably be the second, maybe the third, if you want to talk about halftime adjustments, but second quarter that seems like you've had enough time to settle into the game you know what pace the game's going at so now's your time to make a move and set yourself up for the rest of the game as for the first and third you know i i I don't know maybe maybe somebody surprises you a little bit and all that but uh i think the georgia southern in-game coaching i don't doubt that for a second i think that lunsford's good at making in-game adjustments uh pretty good at managing the clock uh, you, you can say what you want for how they come into games and how I know that in a lot of losses, a lot of the flack has been that they don't get aggressive enough, that they don't uh, try to press the issue enough. But I really think that that stat right there, they're so good in the second quarter, uh, shows that they know how to settle into a game. They know how to react to whatever's being thrown at them and counterpunch against it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, before we close up, Mike, I, uh couple of notes real quick. Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Uh, saw, Mike, you tweeted this out early on Monday. Uh, pretty much guaranteed now, or not pretty much, it is guaranteed now to be either a 6 p.m. game or a 7.30 game. Uh, the 7.30 slot for Georgia State, Georgia Southern, would be um, a nationally televised game. ESPNU, Mike, is that correct? Uh, well, it'll be either ESPNU or ESPN2. That's the... Okay. That's what yeah. they whittled it down to. Right. And then the 6 p.m. game would be obviously the ESPN Plus uh, with our boy Greg Talbot. Uh, Ole Miss added to the 2024 Georgia Southern schedule today on Tuesday. Uh, Georgia Southern also plays Ole Miss next season. They also welcome Lane Kiffin and the Florida Atlantic Owls to Paulson Stadium next season. Um, cool non-conference schedule next year, I think. Uh, and then finally, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's good spacing uh, at Ole Miss in 2020, at Ole Miss in 2024. I don't know if you've ever been. Four years is just about the right amount of time to properly recover from partying at the Grove. Oh, yeah. Oxford is one of a kind, man. Uh, Love it there. Um, And then finally, uh, to be clear, Georgia Southern Bowl eligible now. Uh, Plenty of time to kind of get into this, this discussion in later episodes, Mike, but um, just to make it clear, nothing is guaranteed now. Uh, six wins doesn't guarantee you a bowl game. For me, my opinion, I think Georgia Southern's guaranteed to go to a bowl already. But just because I think that doesn't mean that uh, a bowl has to select them. Um, if I was handicapping them right now, it looks like, feels like it'll be Orlando in the Cure Bowl. But if, if Georgia Southern wins these last two games, it will it will guarantee itself a bowl, I would think, Mike. And then... Uh, you know, also give itself a shot at the Sunbelt title game. Um, so those are my kind of 
notes from this week. Uh, Mike, I'll let you close out. Anything else you want to talk about before you tell the folks how to follow your stuff, how to read your stuff? Uh, no, just that I would agree with you about the bowl games. I think that, uh, you know, the math is looking, if you look at the entire nation, um, it, it seems like out of 78 bowl slots, they're going to fill them all. So you're not going to need to be looking to any of the sub-500 teams, which definitely means that anyone who's hit that six-win plateau is uh, going to qualify for a bowl game. Um, of course, the Sun Belt championship game winner will be headed to New Orleans. Hopefully, with a little help, Georgia Southern can get there. Uh, if not, I would say that you'd be guaranteed one of those uh, Eastern Bowls in Montgomery, Mobile, Orlando. There is that other one in Arizona, but I think that's where Georgia Southern stands above anybody else in the entire conference outside of uh, Louisiana Lafayette getting to the New Orleans Bowl. There is no better sell, and I'm not being a homer here. This is just looking at facts and stats. There's no easier sell for bowl games who are all about selling tickets and making money. No easier sell than telling Georgia Southern fans to go somewhere within a five- or six-hour drive. And they showed that in Mobile. They showed that in Montgomery. Orlando's on the record as wanting them. So, I honestly, like, I hope they win the next two. But Georgia Southern fans, if you're looking to go to a bowl game, you don't have anything to worry about. You are going somewhere in December or maybe January. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Tell the folks how to follow your stuff and read your stuff, Mike. Yep, you can read me in the uh, Statesboro Herald. You can follow us online at statesboroherald.com. We've got videos that go up throughout the week. And on game days, you can follow me on Twitter at at heraldgsports. Awesome. And for us at the Savannah Morning News, uh, find all of our Georgia Southern coverage at savannahnow.com slash sports. Uh, sign up for the free Georgia Southern newsletter that goes out on Tuesday nights uh, for your Wednesday morning email inbox uh, on our homepage at savannahnow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jadon Sports SMN uh, and send angry emails to tjadon at savannahnow.com. Do me a favor, rate, subscribe this podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Five stars only, five stars only. You know the deal. Um, and We'll get you now to my interview with Kara Ritchie to preview Arkansas State, and we will see you guys next week for another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. All right, Georgia Southern fans, we have a new offer for you guys at savannahnow.com. We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field, basketball court, baseball field, or what have you. But go join the mailing list for the newsletter, and this is how you do it. Go to savannahnow.com and look on the right side of the homepage, click Get Our Newsletters, and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories, opportunities to subscribe to the podcast, and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. All right, we're joined now by Kara Ritchie of 95.3 The Ticket in Jonesboro. Kara's going to help us uh, preview Arkansas State, kind of give us a scouting report on the Red Wolves as they enter uh, the game with Georgia Southern at 6-4, and 4-2. Four, four and two. Kind of in a in a similar spot as Georgia Southern. Want to get you guys uh, the key players, um, key stats, and kind of key matchups for this game coming in uh, to Jonesboro. So, Kara, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. So, if you could, kind of for our listeners, give give a recap of Arkansas State's season so far. You know, looking at their schedule and kind of their stat sheet, it seems like uh, they're, they've been a lot like Georgia Southern, really good uh, at certain points um, and then not so great uh, at other points in the season. What have you seen from Arkansas State so far this year? Uh, it's been kind of an adventure, uh, to be honest. Um, the season has had, as you mentioned, some high points, some rough points, and it seems like it's had everything in between. It started off on, uh, you know, it started the Red Wolves started out the season with a loss against SMU, which nobody was particularly pleased with at the time. It was just a loss by a touchdown. But since then, we've kind of gone on to see how good of a team SMU is. 
Uh, following that, uh, Red Wolves went out to Vegas, had their best game of the season. They were on an emotional high that game, I think, with the return of Blake Anderson, the head coach who, of course, uh, unfortunately lost his wife uh, due to breast cancer right prior to when the season started. Following that, it was uh, a trip to um, Georgia where Arkansas State got thumped is probably the best way to say it. An out-of-conference win, and then uh, you get into conference play and started on a high note with a win over Troy by a touchdown, which is one of the wildest games still to this date I think I've ever seen. It had everything and even ended with a 10-second runoff uh, before it was over. Um, there was a loss to Georgia State following that for Arkansas State. Gave up 722 yards of offense. It's still one that kind of sticks in the, the craw of the fan base, I think, a little bit. Followed by a loss to the Raging Cajuns where uh, A-State was in it but just couldn't hold on late. And then since then, though, three straight wins. They've all been a little bit of an adventure. A win over Texas State by a, a sizable amount, then a squeaker against Monroe because it seems like all of the games that A-State play in Monroe are always an adventure. And then last Saturday, a one-point win over Coastal Carolina where Arkansas State turned the ball over five times but somehow managed to escape with a victory uh yeah an adventure from beginning to end so far yeah and I think I think if anyone can relate to that it's Georgia Southern fans for sure they've had their fair share of off the field and on the field um issues but Kara for this Arkansas State team it's pretty clear what uh what they want to hang their hat on and that's offense that's really nothing new for Arkansas State as a program but is it really I guess you know starting on the offensive side of the ball is is it really the responsibility of the offense for this team to win football games uh, for Arkansas State? Do they kind of feel that responsibility given that the defense, uh, you know, has struggled so far? I think so. And, and one big, big storyline with Arkansas State this season is the number of injuries this team has had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now the offense has to be your strongest unit because the defense is so beat up, Travis, that they actually changed the defensive scheme in the middle of the season. This team started out with a 4-2, uh, just a 4-2-5 defense, which is pretty much the same thing that um, A-State has ran for forever. It's the same thing that's always been uh, always been the defensive scheme since Blake Anderson has been around, although there was a change in defensive coordinator in the offseason. This team has lost so many defensive linemen that they're now out there in a, a three-man front because they don't have the interior defensive linemen right now to be able to continue to have um, you know, good depth at that spot anymore. It's been completely wild. They also have lost uh, very beginning of the season, or excuse me, third game of the year against Georgia, lost their best cornerback. In fact, one of the best corners in the league in Jerry Jacobs. And since then, they've lost uh, another cornerback. You've got a true freshman now starting at corner. You've got young players all over the field or just inexperienced players on, on that side of, of the ball. So, you have to have good performances by the offense week in and week out to be able to carry the team. Now, on the offense, there's also a redshirt freshman running things at quarterback because the starter, Logan Bonner, was hurt uh, in the fourth game of the season. He's been out with a thumb injury and, and will not return this year. So the offense has to step up and, and do big things, but both sides of, of this team, both units, have been pretty battered so far this year. All right, yeah, and you just hit on it, the quarterback situation for Arkansas State. Can you kind of... Uh, give, I guess, to the best of your ability, a, a brief scouting report on uh, Lane Hatcher. You know, by the numbers, uh, 17 touchdowns, almost 1,900 passing yards, has thrown uh, nine interceptions, but, you know, 1,900 yards and 17 touchdowns in seven games, you know, that ain't bad at all. H- how has he played and kind of w- what does he look like and what does he offer as far as a skill set? He has played like a redshirt freshman. Um, and I mean that in in both a good way and, and kind of, you know, a negative way as well. Sure. On the one hand, every game, you'll see him make a pass that he couldn't have made two days ago, uh, a pass where he's finding it, you know, a receiver downfield and places it perfectly in his hands to where there's no chance of an interception and it's a beautiful play and your jaw drops and you just think, oh my goodness, I can't believe he just made that pass as a redshirt freshman. On the flip side, uh, he's been a little mistake prone. You've mentioned, you know, the nine interceptions that he's thrown this season and they've come, unfortunately, you know, a lot of times those come at inopportune moments. And we've seen that happen with Hatcher. And, and sometimes they're just those moments where you shake your head and you just think, I cannot believe he just threw it to that guy. How do you make a mistake like that? So we've seen a little bit of both. As far as his weapons, 
Uh, again, just a, a little bit inconsistent. He can throw it downfield a little bit. And a lot of plays, one thing you have to remember is he gets a lot of help from his wide receivers because Omar Bayless and Kirk Merritt, Jonathan Adams, those guys can just flat go and get it. But he also is uh, not not completely afraid to take off if he needs to. He's not going to be one of those guys that is going to get you, you know, 20, 30 yards on a carry. But if a play kind of collapses, maybe he can get you seven or eight. Yeah, you just touched on it. Probably maybe my favorite player in the whole conference to watch is Omar Bayless, the wide receiver for Arkansas State. Um, I actually get uh, a Heisman vote uh, every year, and we do a straw poll uh, every week. And for a while there, I was voting him number four, number five in the Heisman just because he was so dominant uh, for such a lengthy stretch. Um, how good is Omar Bayless? And, and, you know, it seems like, I think I know the answer to this, but it seems like he's good enough uh, to win some games on his own. Is he that big of a weapon uh, for Arkansas He is a State? big O security blanket for Lane Hatcher. The thing with Omar Bayless is he's not, he's not a speedster. Uh, you throw an out route, he's not going to be sprinting down the field and just totally, you know, outpacing his, his coverage. But you get him on the sidelines, you get him uh, in the end zone, any type of red zone situation, and he is just going to out-physical whoever is trying to defend him. Uh, We saw, it was a couple weeks back, um, if I recall correctly, I I think it was the Texas State game, although I I might be wrong here. There was uh, an incredible catch he made in the end zone where where the the corner is – He's pretty much wearing the corner. Uh, it was a blatant pass interference call. The, call. the guy was draped all over him. It didn't matter. He made a one-handed catch in the end zone to be able to haul that in and uh, get a touchdown for A-State. It's just he's just so physical. And you feel like a lot of balls that are normally thrown up in the air, you know, you, you refer to them as 50-50 balls. It's like 70-30 that Omar Bayless is going to be able to come down with that, if not more. Um, he's just really a, a unique player. He's made highlight catches since he's been at Arkansas State. His first touchdown, by the way, 2016 in a game where Arkansas State beat Georgia Southern by one point, and he caught that game-winning touchdown right there uh, at the end of things. He's been a blast to watch this season. Yeah, and that game, that 2016 game, you know, reading Georgia Southern's game notes for this week, that is the only time that Georgia Southern has played uh, in the state of Arkansas as a program. So that's kind of a unique note. And just one more thing on Bayless, Bayless and Merritt, uh, Kirk Merritt, uh, also a senior receiver, 27 passing touchdowns for Arkansas State this year. Those two guys have been on the receiving end of 24 of those. So no secret what Arkansas State wants to do um, offensively. Before we jump to the defense quickly, one more thing, actually. I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion on Marcel Murray coming into this game and kind of his um, – you know, injury status or kind of, you know, where he, where he is as far as how much he'll be able to be used on Saturday? That's honestly a really good question. And, and one I wish I had, you know, a great answer for, we'll see him this much and he'll be at this percent, but, but I don't know. You go back earlier this season, Marcel Murray missed three games because he tweaked an ankle. Uh, during that point in time, we saw Ryan Graham come in at running back who has since torn his ACL. We saw Isaiah Azabuki come in at running back who has since broken his ankle. And we saw Jamal Jones come in at running back who is dealing with a little bit of a, he's kind of hampered with his knee. Uh, now you've got the fact that Marcel Murray went out and tweaked his other ankle on the very first play of the game last week against Coastal Carolina. I don't know if he's going to be between 70% and 100%. I don't know which one of these he's going to be closer to, but uh, you, you worry about. Murray if he's not at 100% because he's got just he's he's so great at making you know those cut moves and being able to switch direction incredibly quickly and and be able to evade some tackles and if he's not 100% if he can't plant that foot uh, it changes things dramatically for Murray and and also for the Arkansas State offense right and then if he's not 100% and Jones isn't 100% you're getting down to a, a fifth string running back so you have concerns there about being able to move the ball against Georgia Southern because we, we know they've got a solid defense. All right, and then moving on to the defense, Kara, for Arkansas State, who are some guys, uh, you know, I think as a unit, obviously Georgia Southern hopes to have success offensively against the Arc State defense, um, you know, just looking at the numbers. But as, a, as individuals, there do seem to be a couple of guys that, that can be playmakers. Uh, you know, I know, uh, is it Bradley King or King Bradley? 
William Bradley King, a defensive end, who is uh, absolutely a beast. He's a guy who loves to get behind the line of scrimmage, loves to get in a quarterback's face, and to see what he can do to wreak havoc. Uh, he's been pretty solid at doing that this year, um, but he's a name that, uh, that you're going to hear a couple times, I think, on Saturday. Um, all right, Kara, let's, uh, let's um, get you to kind of preview how you think this is going to go down on Saturday. Um, if you're bold enough, a prediction from you, but at the very least, maybe kind of what you see being some key matchups on Saturday between Arkansas State and Georgia Southern. Well, if Arkansas State plays next Saturday against Georgia Southern, the way they played against Coastal Carolina uh, just a couple days ago, they're absolutely going to get walloped by the Eagles. That being said, I don't think that's going to happen. Arkansas State has been fairly good in their history about, you know, these games where they go out and lay an egg, being able to completely turn it around next time. Uh, Arkansas State, again, five penalties last week, uh, or excuse me, five turnovers last week, way more than five penalties that they kept uh, kind of shooting themselves in the foot with. So you can't do that. First off, you just got to clean up things uh, just in general if you are going to be able to come out and, and be effective. Two, you really just have to have a good day for the offense, and that also kind of starts with with not having penalties. Arkansas State had numerous holding penalties uh, last week, and it was really hard for the offense to get moving because every time you looked up, it was first and 20, second and 23, and it's really hard to stick to your game plan when you're constantly in down and distant situations like that. So just sure. to be better at, at executing without the mistakes. And, uh, and really just offensively, man, feed your weapons, feed Omar Bayless, feed Kirk Merritt, trust them to be able to make plays because they've been able to do that for you all season long. Defensively, you just got to make a couple stops, you know, just, uh, just try and live through your offense, do enough to where uh, you can make a couple stops. Don't give up the explosive play, which I know sounds so cliche because I think it's said in every game preview ever, but but that's what you got to do. Uh, you know, if you can just try and contain Georgia Southern and not let them, not let uh, those guys uh, who Kennedy and, and Wirtz haul off down the field for 30 plus yards uh, every time, you, you've got a better chance. So the defense doesn't have to be perfect. They just have to be okay. And then the offense really needs to, to get it going uh, much better than they did last week for Arkansas State to be able to come out with a win. Awesome, Kara. Do you want to let our listeners know how they can follow you? Um, this week uh, leading up to the game online and maybe listen to any of your uh, stuff this week? Sure. Uh, I am. Uh, my show is on from noon to 2 Central, so uh, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on 95.3 The Ticket, which is streaming online at 95.3theticket.com. Additionally, I'm on Twitter at Kara underscore Richie, so from time to time I tweet out interviews, links, things like that uh, to help get ready for game day. Awesome, Kara. Well, yeah, we appreciate you joining us, and we're looking forward to this uh, matchup in Jonesboro on Saturday. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Georgia Southern. Pass swings on the way. 